That's right. It is so good to be back here at uh, North Holland. I can't tell you what a joy it is for Beth and me to be back. Your congregation has supported us for 24 years. You remember when we were in Estonia for 13 and a half years, but we've already been in, in Bahrain for over eight years. And it's amazing how the, the time just really moves. I don't remember the last time I, we were here, but um, uh, two years ago, I suffered a ruptured appendix, as you remember, and uh, Stephen faithfully visited us. And uh, we're, we're so grateful for the prayers of this congregation over the years. And that was a close call. Uh, I'll tell you, there was only one time when I honestly wondered if I wasn't going to make it. But on, on the second surgery, I went into shock at the end of it. And um, I found out that our congregation back in Bahrain was having an all-night prayer vigil that night. And one of our uh, prophetically gifted people actually said they sensed that Satan was working hard to take the life of our pastor. We need to pray. And they prayed. And the Lord brought me through that time. And with your prayers, the recovery has been complete I praise God. Beth and I both crossed age 60. We're still here, and we hope we can serve the Lord many more years. So thank you so much for your love for us and for your, your concern. And I'm going to begin with a short PowerPoint. Let's see here. Oh, here we go. Great. Because we have served so many years, and oh, that's interesting. This is a different setup than mine. Now, isn't that interesting? I, I will trust that, uh, that this is going to work here. Um, <laughs> yep, that, that's right. Okay, that's great. Quick update on where our children are. Uh, our oldest is Joshua, and seven years ago he married Jessica. And they, the most important thing is they've given Beth and me three wonderful granddaughters, Debbie, Felicity, and Haven. And Joshua presently works for Audio Scripture Ministries right here in Holland. And he is right now in Mozambique on one of his four uh, mission trips that he takes uh, every year on their behalf. Patricia is in Chicago, works for uh, an organization called uh, Body Gears. She's a physical therapy exercise technician, but her passion is running. And she's run cross-country for a number of years, and she actually won nationals last year. So Beth and I are very proud of that. And um, our third is Elizabeth, and she's still with us in Bahrain. She's an assistant teacher at Alwajah School, which is the old American mission school, and uh, she is an active part of our discipleship ministry uh, in the congregation. Our fourth is Hannah, and she spent two years at New York Film Academy in Manhattan, but she's presently living in Rockford, Michigan. She is uh, a beautician full-time, and um, kind of with hopes that maybe 
uh, acting will be in her future, and only God knows. Uh, Jonathan, uh, our second oldest son, is serving in the Air Force. He's presently at Fort Walton uh, Beach, uh, where he is a linguist. And um, pray for him, and pray for his safety, and pray that we don't go to war. Uh, because naturally, as, as parents, that's always a concern. But um, he is serving uh, in the Air Force. Stephen is with us in Bahrain. He is a full-time uh, fitness personal trainer, uh, working for Fitness First. And our youngest is also with us in Bahrain, and she just graduated from Al-Rajah School. And uh, she is up there reading scripture at the graduation ceremony. And uh, we're just so proud of that she loves the Lord and has been such a great witness uh, in that school. She is looking forward to joining YWAM, Youth of the Mission, uh, in January. And uh, so we know where where she's going to be from January through June next year. And after that, we don't know where she's going to go to school. Maybe back here in the United States, maybe somewhere else. We're just not sure. But um, she wants to serve the Lord, and Youth of the Mission is a good starting point for her. Why is Bahrain strategic? Well, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And the word in the Greek is ethne, and it really means people groups. We think of nations, we think of the 240 or 50 political entities we call countries, but people groups really are more accurate. They are, what makes a people group a people group? A common language, a common culture, and according to the Joshua Project, there's really 16,000 language, or 16,000 people groups in the world, and The sea of red that you're looking at there is the most unreached or the least reached of all the people groups in the world. And right in the heart of that, in the middle, is located Bahrain. Now, for those of you who don't know specifically, it's in the Middle East, off the Persian, off the uh, east coast of Saudi Arabia, right at the tip of that. Uh, arrow. It's a small place, but a very, very important place because it neighbors with Saudi Arabia, obviously, Iran, Iraq, some of the most hostile places to the gospel. And yet Bahrain itself is very, very tolerant because of the long history of the Arabian mission. 125 years ago, Samuel Zwamer, uh, with the help of Dr. Lansing, and uh, James Canteen arrived in Bahrain. And they did there what they did in five other places in the Persian Gulf. They established oftentimes the first hospital in the land, sometimes the first school. In, in the case of Bahrain, it was the first school that, that actually taught ladies because our missionaries said they're important too even though in the Islamic world at that time, nobody was training, giving any education to to the women. And they established the first Protestant church in those lands. Now, we have amazing favor with the king. 
And just on April 30th, 2018, uh, my friend Josh Perkins, who is the principal of the Oliver Josh School, and I actually had the opportunity to visit with the king. The king was there to honor the work that has gone on, if you can imagine. Uh, we had Ken um, Mental Block Neville, for those of you, because he is a relative of, of Samuel Zwemer. And uh, he was there to, to uh, be honored. And because of the amazing honor that we have among the king, we're able to do incredible things that are just not possible in other Muslim nations. Now, we still have to be careful. But in my passport, it says, priest. My employer, National Evangelical Church. In an Islamic country, it's pretty amazing. Uh, it's a very cosmopolitan-looking place, and you'll notice uh, within a kilometer of us, we have our, our version of the World Trade Center, those two twin buildings. Right across from where Beth and I live is this big mosque, the Farouk Mosque, and there is the church on the other side. Now, notice something unique. There's a, there's a steeple, but what is there? A cross. I don't believe you'll find it anywhere else in the Persian Gulf. It's really unusual. The population is one point, greater than 1.3 million, and it's made up of two blocks of people. Think about generally half of the population is made up of locals. They're Arabic-speaking Bahrainis that are not more than 99% Muslim. And the other half are, are the workers that come in, the migrant workers, our congregation is full of those migrant workers from these different nations. The yellow represents India, largest group of migrant workers. But then there's also a, a sizable number from Pakistan and Iran, indicated by the bright green. Brown indicates those from African nations. Uh, the pink or orange, uh, those from the Philippines. It just gives you an idea of the makeup of our congregation as it reflects the many different kinds of workers that are there. As I said, Bahrainis are more than 99% Muslim, uh, but the expats can be Hindus uh, and Christians from so many different nations. Now, this is just a few pictures of our congregation, and uh, you'll notice that we're outside in the parking lot, and that's because it's, it's Easter. Resurrection morning, we have more than a thousand worshipers gather from a number of, of different congregations as well as our own. And it's pretty amazing that we proclaim the victory of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead openly in a parking lot uh, right in front of other Muslims. And it, 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 that's an amazing thing. It's unique. Some more pictures just to give you an idea of what our ministry looks like in the church services. And you'll notice the praise dance ministry. Uh, that's one of the additions. Uh, Beth really conceived the praise dance ministry along with the help of Hannah and Catherine and even Elizabeth. And occasionally, Stephen and I have actually also praise danced. But it's about once a year. Uh, you... Anyways, it's a beautiful thing. We find that it really crosses cultures very, very well. 
So on a Friday morning, that's our main time to worship because the, the um, weekends are really Friday and Saturday. And uh, our work week begins on Sunday. And we also have a Sunday evening service. And uh, you'll notice I'm a little bit more informal on Friday morning, uh, but I'm a little bit more formal on Sunday evening. Uh, typical. Uh, Friday morning, very contemporary, very similar kind of, of uh, worship to the beautiful worship that we just had this morning. On Sunday evening, a little bit more subdued, more hymn singing, uh, but we're slowly but surely also introducing contemporary worship there. That's a smaller group, more seasoned believers. The important thing is that we're equipping people for the work of the ministry. And we're grateful that we just installed our new associate pastor. Uh, and that's Pastor Andy. He was just installed on June 1st, and there he is on the extreme left hand being installed. The goal, friends, is to see people from outside the church come into the church by meeting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and becoming a follower of Jesus And I have to say that the last two years have been more fruitful than the first six years of being in Bahrain. We're actually seeing an amazing harvest, something that was really unimaginable even three or four years ago. And I'll share a little bit more about that. But what we're seeing is there are Muslims coming into the worship service, drawing my attention and saying, I'm interested in becoming a convert or in converting, would you help me? Then I'll often meet with them for a time of discipleship. Never one-on-one, I always make sure I have a trusted elder, a board member with me, uh, because it's not legal to proselytize Muslims or non-Christians. But friends, we're there as witnesses, and when I see it, It often starts as an email, and the email is simple. My name is Abdul. Um, I'm a Muslim. I'm interested in Christianity. Can you help me? How do you answer that, knowing that the government's really looking at your emails a lot of the time? Well, you answer, I answer it by saying, um, hello, Uh, our church services are Friday morning and Sunday evening at these times. Everybody is welcome, and if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer your questions. But if you do come, please draw your attention. I do want to meet with you. Happy to answer any questions. Invariably, they come, and they say, I was the one that emailed you this week. I said, great. After we have a chance to greet, please stay behind. I want to talk with you. And I'll, I'll then bring them to my office with a trusted elder and find out, probe, see where they are. Invariably, we've seen it lead to coming every Friday, every other Friday sometimes. But you see them, and then I meet with them, and after maybe three or four months, they say, so when can I be baptized? And so we just praise God. The, the man that's being baptized here is a patriarch, uh, a, a large family, Pakistani. 
And um, the two people I'm praying over here are two of their sons that were just baptized. So we praise God. Years of, of sowing the seed, we're, we're actually seeing those from outside coming into a relationship with the living God. And we hope that the floodgates will open up and we'll really see a, a major harvest. This is one of our discipleship groups. There's Elizabeth. Uh, and this is the family that was just baptized. And so the ministry is ongoing. And these people are hungry. And they really risk by being baptized. I, t- I tell our congregation, no photos, no social media. And this is not something you'll ever read in a newsletter because if I ever put it in the newsletter, my visa will be canceled and I'll go home. So very exciting to share that this is what's going on. Beth and I are so grateful because we're your hands and feet in the Middle East, the hands and feet of Jesus. Please pray for salvation for the people of Bahrain, unity and mission for our congregation and the NEC, because we're really made up of seven different language congregations all sharing one building, and grace for our family. And if you're interested in ever coming our way and serving for a year, you could do so as a mission volunteer. Just to put a plug in there, you never know. And uh, you can serve either in the school or in the hospital. So now I will end this. And move on to the message at hand. I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 12. If you'd turn with me to Acts chapter 12, that would be great. By way of introduction, James 5.13 says, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. The early church experienced plenty of trouble. And so do we. One of us goes to a doctor and we get bad news and find out it's cancer. Or suddenly we find out that the company we've worked for all these years is downsizing, and now we might be unemployed. Or on a bigger scale, there's an alarming amount of increase in open persecution of followers of Jesus. ISIS is still a big threat to our brothers and sisters in places like Syria and Iraq. Or worse yet, they kidnap your daughters and sell them as sex slaves. And that goes on. The good news is that the same God who heard and answered the prayers of the early church hears and answers our prayers today. And this is the thing. Prayer is the appointed way that we ask and receive whatever we need from God. Prayer invites God's presence and opens up to us resources that will make the difference. Now, with that in mind, let's read in God's Word, Acts 12. And I've entitled the message, Praying in Troubled Times. It was about this time that King Herod 
arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, friends, you know James, Peter, James, and John. We sing Peter, James, and John in the sailboat. This is Jesus' inner circle. Those three apostles were Jesus' inner circle. And Herod has already killed James. Okay? Now, what King Herod are we talking about? There's a whole... There's a whole slew of King Herods mentioned in the New Testament. The one we're talking about is King Herod Agrippa. That is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one that the Magi approached just after Jesus was born. And remember, King Herod the Great saw Jesus' arrival king and went after him. And he ended up slaughtering all the babies two years old and under in, in an effort to, to kill Jesus. That's King Herod the Great. He's the nephew of King Herod Antipas, the one that had the head of John the Baptist chopped off and put on a platter because his daughter had danced at a dinner party. And he says, I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. And the mother said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. You get the idea that the Herods, are, they don't have a very good character. And he's also, King uh, Herod Antipas was the one that Jesus went before on Good Friday at his trial. So this is King Herod Agrippa. He's more popular with the Jews because he finds ways to please the Jews. And so he has James arrested and put to death with the sword. Verse 3. When Herod saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread, or the Passover. After arresting Peter, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. That's double security, friends. That's 16 people in charge of making sure that this man doesn't escape. Obviously, they, didn't, they wanted to wait till the Passover was done because Herod didn't want to rile the people up and cause a riot. So he was going to wait. Herod intended to bring him up for public trial after the Passover. So Herod was kept in prison about a week. But the church was what? Earnestly praying to God for him. The word there in the, in the original, the Greek, is ektenas. And it literally means stretch outedly. Stretch outedly, fervently. The kind of prayer that says, we're, not, we're going to stay here if we have to stay here all night and we're going to plead that the Lord rescue Peter. I want you to see the kind of situation that the early church finds itself in here. Okay, one of the key apostles has just been beheaded. Now they're arresting the leader and... Just before this, Peter was the one 
that God had sent to the house of a Roman centurion named Cornelius and shared the gospel, and the response was amazing. Before Peter got done sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell, and they realized God is even saving the Gentiles. And so it was the beginning of the Gentile mission. Now, what's going on here? I want us to realize that King Herod, as nasty as a man is, is not public enemy number one for the church. What is really going on here is Satan wants to shut down the Gentile mission, or at least slow it down. And he wants to send a clear message out, and he's using King Herod Agrippa as a pawn to do that very thing. And so Herod's just doing his thing. He fully intends to kill a second apostle, put him on public trial. But notice this. What did the church do, friends? They gathered together and earnestly sought God. This is what, this is what the message is all about today. Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. This was so supernatural, it didn't even seem like it was really happening. I find it interesting, too. Now, Peter's been in prison a whole week. And he knows that he's going to go to trial the next morning. And he's sleeping. See, I, I don't know about you, but I think he was at peace. I think he probably figured, it's okay, Lord. James has been martyred, and I'm, I'm ready to be martyred. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. Now, how does that happen? What's going on here? I believe there are more than one or two angels involved here. This is an angelic operation. Not all of them. Many of them are operating in the invisible realm. Only the one was seen. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Now, friends, this is the fourth watch of the night. This is probably taking place between 3 and 4 or 5 o'clock at night. And Peter finds himself outside the prison, very awakened, and he suddenly realizes 
this really has happened. So what does he conclude? There must be a prayer meeting going on. And so he goes to the house of the mother of John Mark, the mother which would be Mary, probably because that's where the prayer meetings often took place. And look at what happens. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Do you realize what's going on here? They're praying for the Lord to deliver Peter. But they don't even believe it. And that's often the way it is with us. You know, if we're honest about our own prayer life, we struggle. Because it seems like sometimes God is hearing us, but sometimes he's not. Because we don't get the answer we want. But friends, God is always hearing us. And why the Lord makes the choices he does, he doesn't always reveal. He allows James to be beheaded. But he rescues Peter so that he can go on serving the Lord. But the important thing to see here, I want us to see it, is even though the early church is struggling themselves, the Lord honors the prayers anyways. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this is not an example of great faith, friends. It must be his angel. They think he's already died. But Peter kept on knocking, verse 16. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. How many of you have prayed for something a long time, and then when it happens, you're kind of shocked? Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, that would be Jesus' half-brother, one of the the leaders in the Jerusalem church. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then Peter left for another place. This is an amazing account because it shows so much our own, reflects our own struggles. The great thing is, is that somebody called a prayer meeting And they gathered. But the general consensus was, Peter's going to die. But they plead for Peter to be delivered, and God chooses to do it. Remember what Jesus taught. You know, he taught us to pray in his name to God. And we could call God Abba, Daddy. He's our Heavenly Father. Jesus is the first to ever teach anybody to pray 
to Almighty God saying, Father, he's my Father, and through me he's your Father. And Jesus said, when you pray, be persistent. Keep on praying. Remember the parables he gave us? One of them was about a man who had come in the middle of the night and the neighbor had nothing to give him. And so he runs to his neighbors and pleads, someone's come and I have nothing to give him. Can you get up and give me some bread? And the man says, no, I'm in bed. I'm, I'm, I'm with my children. Everything's quiet. Go away. And Jesus, who's sharing this parable, says, even though he won't give up to give him the bread because he's his friend, yet because of the man's persistence, he'll get up and give him as much as he needs. And so the Lord challenges us. I want you to pray that way. I want you to keep at it until there's an answer. Be bold. Be persistent. And God responds to the cries of his people. And sometimes I think the Lord is delighted to do something amazing when it's humanly impossible. On a human scale, there's no way Peter's getting out. He's in double security. In those days, anybody gets out, and it's your head. In fact, if you look at verse 18, look at what happens. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter, verse 19. After Herod had a thorough search made for Peter and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So on a human scale, it's like, no way. But God is pleased to work through our prayers and do something amazing. No human failure here, just God's grace. It's a reminder that we serve a God without limits. We serve a God of miracles. And we've seen some wonderful answers to prayer in the last few years. Three years ago, the American Mission Hospital was under threat. The, the local board, which had become majority Muslim, made a move. They fired our RCA director and the two top people, and they literally tried to take over the hospital. But God, God's people went to prayer. And the RCA had to make an appeal to the American ambassador in Bahrain and to the king. Can you imagine this? When the king got word of this, he met with the American ambassador and he said, give me 24 hours and this will be taken care of. They removed the rogue board. We got a brand new board made up of RCA folks. And now they're under not the Ministry of Social Development, which was, which was actually very difficult, but under a, a new ministry called the Ministry of Commerce. And they've expanded they used to just be one place in Manama and one place out, one clinic. And now there are two new clinics and a third one 
will soon open up. They're expanding by leaps and bounds. They've doubled their staff. It simply could not have happened without the crisis. But when we were in the crisis, we thought we could lose the American Mission Hospital after 122 years. But God's people went to prayer, and the Lord intervened through the king. So it's like we've seen some amazing kinds of answers to prayer. I want to share with you a tremendous book. If you want to read about what God is doing in the Middle East, read Tom Doyle's book called Dreams and Visions. God's moving in mighty ways in the Middle East. I'm going to give you one illustration from that book. Cairo, Egypt. Who would you say is the toughest sort of Muslim to reach for Jesus? What would you think? A terrorist? Do you know the Lord, the Lord is drawing terrorists to himself? It's amazing. But according to Tom Doyle, the hardest is the imam. The imam is like the pastor of the local mosques. The imam, to describe an imam, think of they're like Pharisees with a Quran in their hand on steroids. Okay? They're, they tend to be arrogant. They tend to be angry. Their job is to keep Muslims in line following every jot and tittle of the Quran. And Hassan wakes up startled to a rough hand over his mouth and a cold muzzle of a gun to his head. Don't say a word. Just come with us. And he's taken to a warehouse. On the way, Hassan, who had led many Muslims to Jesus, said, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm caught. And this is probably it. Help me to be faithful to you to the end. He gets to the warehouse. He sees ten men, clearly Muslim men, and then they put the gun down, and these men smile. And they say to him, we're really sorry, but it was the only way we could get you here. It's the middle of the night in Cairo, Egypt. He says, we are all imams. And Jesus has appeared to each one of us separately. And we gather three times a week in the middle of the night, to pray for our families and the people in our mosques to find Jesus. Jesus appeared to them in the middle of the night. And he showed us, you, because we want to know how to follow Jesus better. Would you be willing to teach us the Bible? Friends, that's what's going on in places like Cairo, Egypt. We hear even more stories about Iran. Now, the media won't tell you any of this, but there is a spiritual revival going on in Iran because Jesus, in answer to your prayers and the prayers of other brothers and sisters, is showing up in the middle of the night to, to villagers who then report to others that Jesus showed up in the middle of the night with them as well. And whole villages are turning to the Lord, and the government doesn't know what to do. 
That's what's going on behind the scenes. Read more about it. Dreams and Visions, Tom Doyle's book. What do we learn from this account? My goodness, I'm way over on my time. <laughs> One, I want to share the benefits of, corporal, of corporate prayer. There seems to be more power when people gather in the name of Jesus and pray fervently together than when we're alone. Perhaps the reason for that is somewhere, if we're gathered in a group, maybe I'm having a weak moment in my faith, but maybe somebody else is strong in their faith. And if two or three will agree as to anything on earth, it'll be done by my Father in heaven. That's what he promised. Where two or three gather in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Secondly, I want us to see that God honors our prayer efforts, even when we struggle. Despite our struggling, I think Peter was resigned to the fact he was going to die. And I think the early church, you know, based on how shocked they are that Peter's at the door, the consensus was, we're losing this battle. But God intervened. Nothing's impossible for God. So let us pray expectantly. Why should we pray, friends? God can do more in one second through our praying than we can do on our own in a lifetime. And that's a fact. I want, you, I want us to meditate on this. It is not the greatness of my faith that moves mountains, but it's my faith in the greatness of God. Big difference. And so what I would like us to do right now is I would like us to move into a time of prayer where for eight or ten minutes, we break down into small groups of three or four right where you are, and I want us to pray for those things that are on your heart that are seemingly impossible. Jim Van Zetten, we we love Jim. He was the pastor about 10 years at Richmond, another supporting church of ours. Let's agree together for a breakthrough for Jim Van Zetten. And and there are other. We've been praying for Ruth Holst. You know, we so badly want to have her around the next time we come and visit. The Lord can do that. Let's just join in and pray for the Lord to move in powerful ways. And pray for Bahrain. Pray that the Lord will bring an even greater harvest and that the Lord will give me the wisdom to prepare the church to receive that harvest so that he can do great things. And, and, And be led by the Holy Spirit. But let's break down into groups of three or four right now. And let's pray together.